0: Welcome to the Open Bible Podcast, a resource of Church of the Open Bible in Swift Current, Saskatchewan. In this episode, we discuss Charles Ryrie's book, Basic Theology, and the topic of Christology. Hello, church and guests. This is Pastor Jay Hines and Pastor Joe Sorgen, welcoming you to another episode of the Open Bible Podcast. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. On today's episode, we will be looking together at chapters 40 to 41 of Charles Ryrie's book Basic Theology, which kicks off section nine and his discussion on Christology or the biblical doctrine of Jesus Christ by looking first at the Lord's pre-incarnation and then incarnation. And Ryrie begins by stating that this doctrine is usually organized chronologically. So it starts with Christ in eternity past and then ends with Christ in eternity future. That's usually the way that systematic theologies will study the the doctrine of christ and i think that's a helpful way to look at his person and work it's it's a good way of going about it um, a good uh form and so that's how we're going to proceed and again we're going to start today by first of all talking about what the bible says about the the pre-incarnate christ so joe what does the bible tell us about that what do we mean when we're talking about his pre-incarnation
1: yeah so the incarnation of course is when uh god becomes man and uh... Jesus is born, that's it, that's incarnation, so we're talking prior to that, uh, that's what we mean by that pre-incarnate Christ, and the Bible uh, has a few different uh, things that it tells us about the pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, first of all, uh, just to, this should be very obvious, but it, it tells us that uh, Jesus existed before he was born, right, uh, that that the Son of God existed, of course he wasn't uh, necessarily known as Jesus at the time, um, but uh, he was around. Uh, before coming to earth as a man. And John 1 verse 15 tells us this, uh, I think, pretty clearly. So it's it's talking about John the Baptist here, and it says, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Well, that's interesting because John the Baptist was actually born before Jesus was born. So what's he talking about? He was before me. Well, he's he knows that uh, the Christ, that the Son of God, uh, was existing far before he was because, of course, Jesus is God. So that's uh, one simple thing there. Another thing the Bible tells us is that uh, Jesus, or that the Son of God dwelt in heaven prior to becoming man. Uh, John 3, verse 13, this is Jesus speaking himself. And he says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man, meaning he came down from heaven to earth, the Son of Man. And, uh, and of course, the Bible also tells us that uh, the pre-incarnate Christ is eternal. Uh, We get uh, this from places like Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where it's speaking about uh, the Messiah and says that he is everlasting father, that he is eternal father. Um, In the book of John, chapter 8, verse 58, this is probably my favorite example of Jesus himself proclaiming that he is eternal. uh, When... Uh, he's speaking to some of the, the Jews, the Jewish leaders. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. Mm-hmm. Not I was, but I am pointing to uh, his eternality. Uh, he was before uh, Abraham and he always has been. Uh, he is eternal. And there's several other uh, passages as well. Just another key one, I think, is John chapter one, verse one, where it says, mm-hmm. in the beginning was the word being uh the son of god and the word was with god and the word was god pointing to of course jesus being eternal uh, and there's there's much for us to
0: learn about the pre-incarnate christ from the word Mm -hmm. yeah that's great those are um, all key texts showing us that jesus is the son of god he's always existed in eternity past Uh, another really important passage on this is from philippians chapter Mm -hmm. 2 uh, there we read in verse 6 to 7, and I'm actually going to read from the New Living Translation because I think it, it helps get at um, a little bit more clearly what's being said here. It says, though he was God, or uh, more literal translations would say in the form of God, which is just another way of saying he was God in every way, right, divine. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, or uh, a more literal would be he emptied himself, but that's really what it's getting at, right? That Jesus existed in eternity past fully equal with God. He was God. It's, um, he was one in essence with God, the Father and God, the Spirit, but he had and he had this equality with God in the sense of all the privileges of heaven and the privileges of divinity and privileges of his glory. And yet, nevertheless, as we're gonna talk about in a little bit with his incarnation, he, he let go of those privileges and that glory, in order to come uh, amongst us as a man, and so there again, we see him in eternity past. Uh, I think it's it's pretty significant too when we when we consider this doctrine. Like, if you're a, if you're a Christian, and you, you know you're obviously familiar with this, and it's something that you've seen in statements of faith and in creeds, and you understand it. Yep, of course, Jesus. Uh, existed for, for all of eternity, but to really wrap our minds around the fact that he became then man, I mean, I, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is we can't fully appreciate the incarnation, Jesus becoming man, which again, we're going to talk about in more detail later until you first appreciate who he was before that, mm-hmm. right? To, to consider Jesus, the son of God in all of his glory, in all of eternity past, within the triune God. I mean, to, to, to give that all up, all of that glory and, and all the privileges of heaven to come to us is, is truly startling. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But I guess one question that people often have then is, okay, if Jesus of Christ has always been around, well, what was he doing before he came to earth, before his birth into the world? So what are some of the things He was he was doing? I would start by, and I'll let you go in a minute, but I I just, what always strikes me is how he, in John 17, we're told he shared both the glory with Mm -hmm. God, the father, but also he shared a perfect loving relationship with God, the father. So in John 17, first of all, verse five, we read, and now father glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So, There again, we see this, uh, the pre-existence of Christ sharing fully with God the Father, that glory and our own Phil Powers, he defines glory as what? As the, the greatest treasure on public display, right? So this great treasure of just the essence of God on display and them enjoying that forever. But then there's also a relational aspect of it, which is the love they shared. And we see that in later on in verse 24 and 26 where it says where he's Jesus is praying, "Father, I desire that they also, that is believers whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world." That that is such a great picture, right? We could say what was Christ doing, you know, and before he came to earth in his pre-existent eternal glory, he was experiencing perfect love between him and the father and then we know also with the spirit and uh, that just again gives us a, a wonderful picture of who our god is as well but what would be some other things that jesus was was up to
1: well uh i mean we don't have to look very far in the bible to find out what he was up to genesis 1 1 in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and i think we uh most commonly think of god the father when we read that um but there are certainly hints in genesis uh, chapter one and two that would point to uh, the triune God, uh, all three persons of the Trinity having different uh, parts to play in creation. And in fact, in the book of Colossians, I think it's made very clear that the pre-incarnate Christ was actually also part of that, was responsible for creation. In Colossians chapter one, uh, starting in verse 16, it says, speaking of the pre-incarnate Christ, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And so we read there before before Christ came to earth uh, as, uh, as the incarnate God, um, he created, he is uh, responsible for creation, which I think you know, it's, it's just amazing to think that the creator of earth, that the creator of of all the things we see around us, uh, then humbled himself in order to become man and to live on this earth, to leave that amazing glory that Jay was just talking about, you know, just being in the presence of perfect fellowship with God, the father. And he humbled himself and came down to earth. Pretty amazing. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty cool.
0: Yeah. and, And I would just say too, like to think about uh, those who actually met jesus in person mm. his disciples and others and then you know when it clicked wait a minute like this guy this this person who here who i'm listening to and see and can touch and he made me yeah like, he made everything <laughs> like he i mean it's 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 incredible it's incredible to think for sure yeah oh it would
1: have been absolutely mind-boggling for yeah. them i think once the once that light turned on and they realized <laughs> that i think that was just like whoa <laughs> yeah uh, which makes a lot of sense yeah um but that's we kind of have hints of that in the old testament that the pre-incarnate christ was part of creation we learn a lot about it in the new testament here in colossians as an example but uh, in the old testament we also read about the pre-incarnate christ most often described as <laughs> the angel of the lord and there's several examples of this throughout the entire old testament where all of a sudden this this angel of the lord shows up and uh, and speaks and uh, when when this happens, more often than not uh, he, the angel of the Lord is speaking as if they are deity um, because in fact, uh, most people agree that that's because he was. It was it was pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, and for example, there's lots of times where angels show up in the Old Testament and, or and the New Testament and people start worshiping and they're like, whoa whoa whoa, like hold the phone. don't don't be worshiping me. You need to be worshiping God. Well, when it happens with the angel of the Lord or the uh, commander of the armies of the Lord, as happens in Joshua, that doesn't happen. They fall down, they worship, and in fact, sometimes the pre-incarnate Christ says, like, the ground you're standing on is holy ground, uh, showing that this is Christ, this is God. An example of this is Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, of course, very well known with the the burning bush. It says that that's the angel of the Lord, so that's the pre-incarnate Christ that uh, Moses is having this a conversation with uh, again in Joshua chapter five, right before the battle at Jericho, Joshua uh, is met by the uh, commander of the Lord's army, and again, uh, it's usually assumed that that is pre-incarnate Christ. And there's many, many, many other examples of that too. But it's just really interesting to see and to understand now that we're we have the New Testament and things just to understand whoa, that was that was pre-incarnate Jesus. Uh, mm-hmm. Doing all this stuff, and uh, it's just really interesting to think about that and to realize it's not like he was absent. It's not like he was far from us. It was certainly different. You know, uh, we also can understand that while Jesus was in glory, he was waiting to be revealed uh, to us from heaven. But yet he was he was still there. It was just the role was a little bit different.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Another passage I think of is in Hebrews chapter one, verses one to three. It says, long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So there we see pre-incarnate son creating the world. But then it goes on. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. So he is fully divine and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So Jesus not only created the universe, but he upholds it. Right, Jesus is ultimately what's holding everything together, from the most minute, smallest particle in the universe to the biggest stars and suns and everything. He's he's holding it all together, which again is is pretty incredible. He's doing that now, and he has been doing that uh, ever since its creation. Now, um, there's maybe a few other things we could say there, but why don't we just go on and, and talk briefly about why this doctrine of pre-incarnation of christ why is this so important to the christian faith maybe one way of putting it is what would we lose if this wasn't true could christianity even um hold up could it even exist in any consistent way
1: yeah well i think uh if we if we realize that if christ wasn't pre-incarnate if he only came on the scene only began existing at his birth if he wasn't eternal a few different things would uh, would just be gone from the Christian faith. For one, there'd be no Trinity, correct? Because if Jesus just only came to be when he was uh, born on earth, well, then he's not eternal, which means he's not God, which means, well, there's no longer three persons of the Trinity. Um, and so, boom, that's gone. That's out the window. Another thing, of course, that would mean, yeah, Jesus isn't God. He's not deity if he's not eternal because that's an attribute of God as we see throughout the word. Boom, another thing out the window. And also Jesus himself, as we looked at before, John 8, 58 says, basically, I am eternal. Well, if he only was born and that's the first time he started to exist, Jesus is a liar. So if he lied then, why do we trust any other word that he had to say? Mm. Um, and then boom, our whole faith is out the window. And so those are three, obviously, super core things to the Christian faith that are lost if we, uh, if we recognize uh, or if if we say that Jesus, that uh, the Christ was not uh, pre-existing and not um, not eternally there before
0: coming to earth as mm-hmm. a man, yeah. So it's really important, um, and it's again sort of the the background and what we need to understand now that we move on to the next doctrine that Ryrie addresses in the next chapter, which is the incarnation of Christ. So. What do we mean by that? Well, literally, it just means incarnation is in the flesh. Now, the way I always remember that is uh, in Spanish, con carne means with meat. So chili con carne, you know, chili with meat. It's a similar idea in carne um, or con carne and incarne. And uh, it has to do with the fact that Jesus Christ, the eternal second person of the Trinity took on flesh. He, he took on humanity so that he was fully God and fully man. And we see that also at the beginning of John's gospel uh, in chapter one, verse 14, the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus took on flesh. He became fully human. And uh, there's other places as well where we see this. For example, 1 Timothy, just turning there, 1 Timothy 3, verse 16 says, he was manifested in the flesh. And then another is is uh, John, the Apostle John in 1 John 4, 2, makes a very strong statement. He says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. There's that term again, in the flesh, uh, is from God. And so that's what we mean by the incarnation. It is the fact that uh, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, the second member of the trinity uh actually became fully man uh, as well as being fully god and uh there's there's obviously other scripture that that talks about this too before we talked about that um prophecy in isaiah nine or i think we did where jesus is called or the coming this coming savior is called uh, the eternal father so we know right there but that's in uh nine six but actually just before that It says, for to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And then it goes on to say, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, he was going to become a child, right? Born, a son. And that's exactly what happened around Mm -hmm. 700 years later, just as prophesied. What would be some other scripture you might go to for that.
1: Well, I just I just uh, wanna say about Isaiah chapter nine too, another thing that's very interesting about those names that are given to Jesus, I, I've heard uh, some people say each of those names, there's kind of two names per name. And one of the names is pointing to uh, the, the pre-incarnate, or the, the incarnate Christ being God. And the other name is pointing to him being man, for example, wonderful counselor. Well, who, who's truly wonderful other than God? Well, no one, but man can counsel. Uh, you know, man can have some level of might, but who's God? Well God. Um, who's everlasting? Only God, but a man can be a father. Uh, who can be a prince well a man, but who truly is peace? Only God, only he can bring peace. And so uh, there we have a, another example uh, again just from Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 where we see that there's these these hints and these prophecies about the Incarnate Christ who will be uh, God and man in one. Um, but there's there's other texts for sure in the Bible that tell us a little bit about the incarnation of Christ, specifically how uh, Christ would be born into the world. And uh, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, this is uh, alluded to. Again, another prophecy. Uh, this is what it says there. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And that is a prophecy Mm -hmm. regarding the coming Messiah, regarding uh, the incarnate Christ. And the really awesome thing is is that the New Testament, when Jesus is born, it says that that's exactly what has happened. Uh, Jesus was born and they called his name Emmanuel. He was born of a virgin, Mary. Uh, Luke 1 verse 35 makes that very clear. Um, and, uh, And we understand that Jesus was born into the world of a woman, as it says in Galatians four, verse four as well. Um, But the Bible makes it very clear that this incarnate uh, God incarnate
0: would come to earth, born of a virgin. Yeah. Which is, you know, such a wonderful, I mean, obviously God could have gone about it a different way, right? I mean, Jesus could have come into the world as a man in, in many different ways, but this is just so significant because it, it just shows us so much about what's going on. I mean, it's almost like born of the Virgin Mary, right right there we just have a great picture of what the Incarnation is all about because on the one hand, born of Mary, right born of a woman Jesus had to be born of uh, a woman to be a true human, right and to be in our in the line of of Adam, right in order to be our representative and take our place on the cross. and yet, at the same time, born, uh, of the spirit, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, when, it, when Joseph, Mary's husband finds out that Mary's pregnant, he's betrothed to her and wait a minute, I, I want out of this. Cause you know, we've never been together. How did this happen? She, you know, all the thoughts come to mind of what might have happened. And, uh, what happens though, then is that an angel comes to him in Matthew one and says. Uh, as he was considering these things, behold, an angel, the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that, which is conceived in her is from the Holy spirit. The Holy spirit did it right. She was a virgin. The Holy spirit came upon her. And it was through that, that Jesus was able to come into the world fully God and fully man, which again, is just such a great, uh, picture for us of, of that. Yeah. So that's how it happened. Um, and we could obviously go into more detail mm-hmm. with that, the significance of the virgin birth. but I think that's that's pretty straightforward. I just want us to conclude with why this doctrine is also so important to the Christian faith in life, because I think there's a lot that could be yeah. could be said here.
1: yeah, there there is uh, an awful lot that we could say. We could definitely fill for sure a full podcast just with this. but um, for one thing, it's very important that God became flesh because, um, God was revealed to us, to mankind in a very personal way. Um, and and the most personal way. Um, and that, that is amazing. And that's very important to us because we, we see this man who's also fully God, uh, live life. Uh, we, we see someone who, as Hebrews tells us, uh, who can empathize with our weakness who's our, our great high priest who understands what it's like to be human uh to to be man uh, to to have these you know th- this flesh that we have uh jesus understood that and and the amazing thing is as he lived this life and as he uh, grew in his wisdom and knowledge and stature as it says in luke chapter 2 uh, he lived it all perfectly and that that is just amazing. He's our perfect example of what it means to be man. Mm-hmm. And now it's an example that we certainly can't live up to, uh, not on our own. But but we have it. We have this example, and we understand that Jesus knows what it's like uh, to to be man. And that's just uh, it's just so amazing. It's what a comfort, you know what what other religion, what other faith Mm. has something like that? There, there's nothing like that. There's this far off God who maybe I can please if I do enough good. Um, And, and even then I still might have to spend some time in in hell or, or whatever. And and there's no true love that's there, but no God in his love humbled himself. Like we read before in Philippians chapter two came down to earth. And, And you know, if we consider again, Jesus humiliation, and coming to earth, it's, it's just absolutely crazy from, from glory, from being in heaven with this perfect fellowship with God that just like, hear me out here to be born. Like God was born. That's a, I mean, I never witnessed it, but that's a messy thing. Like he was born and not born in a hospital. He was, he was born in a cave amongst animals like that. That's humiliation. And, and then to die yet yeah, on top of that, and, and to die a horrid, horrid, horrid death. Wow. Like when we understand how much Christ humbled himself, that he, he put himself aside, he denied himself, and, and we remember that Jesus comes as our example. Should this not cause us also to think, man, if Jesus could do that, who's fully God, Certainly I can lay myself aside. Certainly I can deny myself and do what Jesus says, pick up my cross and follow him. Putting myself aside, my own interests aside and have the mind of God. Uh, And and I think this is, you know, this is just one thing. There's so many things that we can take from this, but I think this is a very key thing. And uh, in my opinion, Jesus has did this very intentionally to be that example for us so that we can say, man, if God could do it, so can I. Uh, And and I can do it with God's strength. I can pick up my cross, deny myself, and follow him.
0: Yeah, and that's the connection Paul's making there in in Philippians 2, right? He's Mm -hmm. calling for us to consider others more significant than ourselves, uh, to be thoughtful of their needs just as much as our own. And then he says, just like Christ, right, who emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. So, that's our, our our example, and you're right, it's an incredible example. I, I like what C.S. Lewis uh, once said about this. He said, the eternal being who knows everything and who created the whole universe became not only a man, but before that, a baby. And before that, a fetus inside a woman's body. If you want to get the hang of it, think how you would like to become a slug or a crab. Um, it, it really is mind boggling. Or I've heard it said, you know, imagine. Uh, there was some great problem that ended up affecting all dogs. And one dog owner, you know, decides like, I'm gonna become a dog in order to save all of the, these dogs from their problem, right? And I'm not just gonna become a dog, I'm gonna be born as a puppy and experience all of that. I mean, again, not of course a perfect <laughs> illustration, but you get the idea, right, of just how great that humiliation actually was for Christ. But like you said, he did it out of love. And he did it in order to save us from our sin, and then to empower us so that we can go and do likewise, yeah, and be servants as that example. And there's other things too. You mentioned about Jesus being able to, uh, you know, understand us, understand what it's like to be human. And uh, in Hebrews, you didn't, you didn't, didn't read it, yeah, yeah. But but Hebrews four, mm-hmm. is what I assumed you were referring to, <clears throat> uh, gets at the significance of this with prayer. Right, It says, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy, find grace to help in time of need. How encouraging that is. We all do that. I mean, if we're going through a difficulty, we tend to naturally are drawn to people who've gone through similar experiences because they can relate. And there's just a level of sympathy they can give. And to know that Jesus has experienced in essence, everything we could experience uh, that just makes it so much easier, I would say, to go in prayer and so much more comforting just knowing that Jesus, our mediator, is uh, fully aware of what it's like to to go through the, the difficulties of life. What about salvation? Why is that significant? Yeah, and this is definitely
1: the why this doctrine is the most important. I think um, it, it's pretty simple. Because uh, God became man, He could pre- provide uh, the proper sacrifice for sin. Um, because we know that um, what we know the cost of sin, right? We know that the the cost of sin is death. Well, God can't die. So what is what does God have to do to pay that price? Well, He has to become man. And because man can die, but yet not just any man could just die to pay for the sins of the world it had to be a perfect man. Well, how can a man be perfect? Well, they can't unless they're the incarnate God. And Jesus, of course, being perfect man, being perfect God, two in one, uh, 100% man, 100% God, uh, came to earth and died. And in his death provided that that sacrifice that we needed that perfect sacrifice that we needed. And, and he did die so that we could obtain,
0: uh, salvation. And that's such a gift. What a gift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, Hebrews 10 really gets at that. Mm -hmm. Well, well, there's many other things too, that we could, we could talk about other reasons why it's important, but I think maybe that's where we'll, we'll wrap things up today. Join us next time. Uh, We will be discussing chapters 42 and 43 in the book, which will continue Ryrie's discussion on Christology and specifically the, the person of the incarnate Christ and his ministry while he was on earth. So until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit abide with you now and forever. So long.
1: See ya.